0: What would life feel like and look like if God totally vanished from your sight? I know, that's a scary question. Right? I don't even like to go there because it's so such bad news. <laughs> but what would life look like and feel like for you if God was gone? If, as some philosophers have said, God is dead. What would life be like? Well... I came across David Paulison's, uh little, his version of an anti-Psalm 23. Anti-Psalm 23 helps us understand what your life would look like and feel like if God really was vanished, gone, dead. Here's what he says. I'll put it up here for you. Anti-Psalm 23 says, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want, when I want. How I want, but life's confusing. Why don't things? Ever, why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone. Facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever? Homeless? Free falling into void? Sartre said, hell is other people. I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Well, that's depressing. Well, that's the anti-Psalm 23. I hope it gets the point across, because the anti-Psalm is telling you what life feels like and what life looks like whenever God vanishes from your sight. By the way, that doesn't mean He's gone. It's just you're not seeing Him. And so the anti-Psalm there is capturing the pointlessness of life. It's expressing fears and silent despair that cannot find a voice Because there's no one to really talk to. It's hard when you don't feel like you have somebody to talk to, right? And and when you're caught up in this kind of an anti psalm, it doesn't help when somebody, even if they have degrees, uh, you know, past their name, somebody labels you a disorder or gives you a syndrome or calls you a case. You know what I mean? That's not helpful. See, the problem is much more serious than that. See, the disorder is actually my life. The syndrome is, well, I'm actually on my own. And the case is, well, who actually am I? What What is my identity? And what am I actually living for? But the anti-Psalm need not tell the final story here, okay? Because most of you actually know what the real psalm says, right? I hope you do. So it only becomes your reality when you construct your reality from a lie. In reality, someone else is the center of the story here. You know him, hopefully. See, my friends, nobody can take Jesus away. Nobody And when you actually awaken, when you you see who Jesus actually is, everything changes. Not just salvation. Not just eternal life. Everything changes. And you see this person who who cares for you and has the ability to, to... You can put your trust in this person. You can experience this care. And you see the person whose glory that you're actually meant to worship... Who is worthy of worship, and you love him because he first loved you. And so, the real Psalm 23 here is what life feels like and looks like when Jesus is loving you. And he does, he really does. So, let's read Psalm 23 together. Look at verse 1 Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful psalm. And for many people in our world today, probably the favorite. Here's the main idea. Those of you who are taking notes. There's a couple pages here left if you want one. The main idea is simply this, that Christ is sufficient. And we're going to see a lot of ways in how He is sufficient. And so David is is unpacking this for us here, and he's giving us uh, some metaphors. And the first metaphor is, is that he's describing the relationship between Yahweh and His people... And he does that with a very tender analogy of a shepherd and his flock. Look at the first metaphor. We see here that Yahweh is my good shepherd. Now, some of you, if you're not familiar with Yahweh, that's God's name. You'll notice in our English Bibles, all capital letters, L-O-R-D. That is the Hebrew name for God stands for Yahweh. It's referring to the Godhead, the Trinity. And notice he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And so one of the first things we need to acknowledge here is, I am God's humble sheep. I am God's humble sheep. Uh, David's acknowledging that. Now that's interesting, because in his youth, David had been a shepherd who understood this he experienced this he had watched his father's flock and so he's very familiar with this picture and so he's transferring this this imagery over here and he's declaring that yahweh is his shepherd now that's interesting because that little word in your bible my the word my is emphasizing how deeply personal and close david's relationship was with yahweh if you just think about that, just to be able to say those words is amazing. It's incredible. Yahweh is my shepherd. It's amazing because God allows himself here to be described in this way. You Think about it. Well, you have to think about this. In ancient Israel, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all work. Why was that? Because it's, it's because of what they did. See, back then, friends, a shepherd would actually live with his sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Uh, you know, it just went on and on and on. So, that's what they did. It was unwavering devotion, day and night, and it didn't matter what the weather was like, good weather, bad weather, and it was all for the purpose of nurturing, guiding, and protecting the sheep. And so, the shepherd would assume full responsibility for the needs and the safety of the flock, and he would even put his life on the line for those sheep. David understood that because he said he defeated, what, a lion and a bear? And probably other animals that wanted to come and kill his sheep as well. But he understood his life was on the line. Those animals could have killed him in the protection of those sheep. And so truly... David understood that Yahweh is everything. And Jesus Christ in particular here is describing Himself as our Good Shepherd. Jesus did that Himself in the book of John. Look at this, John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, what does He do? He lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But look what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That's beautiful. He goes on to say, and then in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's what Jesus said about himself. He's the good shepherd. So in particular, David is, of course he's talking about Yahweh. But in particular, Jesus himself. The one who has declared the Father to us. And so because Yahweh is my shepherd, this means a lot of great things for you and me. Now, Look, look at this, number two, you, here's what it means. I shall not lack anything. I shall not lack anything. That's what it says there. I shall not want. So because of the greatness of God and his constant loving care over his flock, that's why David was able to come to this glorious conclusion. I shall not want. That's an amazing statement if you think deeply about that, because left to themselves, sheep lack everything. (laughs) Literally everything. They are totally helpless, defenseless animals. They cannot care for themselves. But under the shepherd's care, all their needs are abundantly met. And by the way, if you are a city slicker, one of the best things you could do for yourself, and if you have children, take your children to farmers who have sheep and watch them. Ask questions. I know, we don't really have shepherds like David was a shepherd these days, but I'm sure you can learn some things from God's Word by doing this. But uh, a shepherd cared for his sheep. All of their needs were abundantly met by the shepherd. And so it is for every Christian, by the way, who has the good shepherd as their shepherd. It's the same for you, friends. Now here's one piece of good advice for you. If you're a sheep, remain under the watch care of God and enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't be one of those sheep who always sees greener grass on the other side of the fence. You know what I mean? Well, maybe you don't. Because sometimes what's, what's in our sinful, fallen nature is we can become discontent. We can become discontent. And, and sheep do silly, dumb, foolish things. In fact, one time when Daniel and I were hunting, we, we saw a sheep who wasn't content to stay in his paddock and must have seen some greener grass on the other side of the fence. So he decided to squeeze his head, or her head, I should say, uh, squeeze her head through the fence, the gate of the fence, in fact. I have no idea how long that poor sheep was there, but it would have starved to death if if it wasn't for some hunters who had come along and helped her out. Because she was panicking, trying to get out. As The closer we got, she just banging her head against the fence and couldn't get out until we opened the gate and she could go freely back into her paddock. Well, that's the nature of sheep. And so sometimes God in His love put fences around us and say, here, look at all this great stuff I've given to you. Be content. Nothing you're going to lack within this paddock. But no, we've got to look outside. Oh, that looks really good. Oh, ooh, that looks really good, right? That's, that's our nature. And so remain under the watch care of God and enjoy it. Be content, the Bible says, with what you have in whatever state you're in. And you say, well, wh- why, why would I want to do that? Because God's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-sufficient. And so that means all of God's sheep are going to be precious to him. And so if you are one of His sheep, if you are a real believer in Christ, that makes you a sheep, that means you're going to lack nothing that is good and necessary for you to enjoy your life to the fullest. You won't. I shall not lack anything. What a glorious truth coming out of Yahweh is my shepherd. But verse 2 also tells us that I shall not lack rest. You're not going to lack rest if... Yahweh is your shepherd. Because notice verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now sometimes when you read the Bible, there's cultural barriers you have to overcome. This is one of them. Okay, We need to overcome this one because in order for us to properly understand what God's saying in verse 2, you have to get your mind outside of New Zealand. Because except for this time of year, in, in, in the peak summertime, rarely are you going to find green grass, right? Because it's talking about green pastures here, in verse two. So get your side out get your mind outside of New Zealand and, and think, what did David experience with his sheep? And if you're having a hard time with that, I've given you a photo on the screen here for you. There you go. That's Bethlehem. Very rocky. Very dry and sparse grass, right? Israelite shepherds didn't have the luxury that we usually have here in New Zealand. We usually have a lot of green grass. And so this is what David would have been used to. And so you need to stop and think, what was it that he is thinking of? What, what, what did he experience? Not what you experienced. Uh, Another thing is you need to stop and and think like a farmer, like a shepherd. Because most of us are city slickers, and we have a hard time with this. So let me share with you what a pastor said. And by the way, this pastor used to be a shepherd. He understands what sheep are like very well, because he used to be a sheep farmer. And I encourage you to read Philip Keller's book, a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I think I I think I put my copy in the church library. Uh, love that book. But anyway, I'm quoting from A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Here it is. The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Now remember, this is a sheep farmer. He knows. So number one. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Number two, because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they're free from friction from others of their kind. And three, if tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. And four, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So that explains why we usually see sheep standing up <laughs> cuz that's a lot of qualifications for the sheep to meet before they're going to lie down and do what verse 2 is talking about. See, notice verse 2 says it's Yahweh that makes you lie down. Yahweh's the one who does that. He's the one meeting those qualifications and requirements in your life. See, in light of Psalm 23 here Philip Keller gives an interesting solution. He goes on to say in his book, quote "To be at rest to be at rest there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. The unique aspect of the picture is that it is only the sheepman himself who can provide release from these anxieties because the sheep yeah, that's end quote, by the way, because notice the sheep can't do it for themselves. Yahweh is the one who does this for his own sheep. And Jesus himself said, "I am the one who brings ultimate rest." You say he said that? Yeah, look at Matthew 11:28. Here's what he says. Jesus said, "Come to me." All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So my friend, notice the good shepherd himself says to you, I will give you rest. It's his responsibility, not yours. There's a fourth thing coming out of this glorious truth that Yahweh always, my shepherd. Notice it says here in verse 2, I shall not lack peace. I shall not lack peace. Because the end of verse 2 says, he leads me beside still waters. Literally, this is referring to water that has been stilled. See, I've learned something about sheep. Weary and worn sheep need a refreshing drink, and they're not going to drink from fast-moving water. They don't like fast, you know, water where there's kinds of, you know, rapids and ripples, and it, it, it's scary to them. And so, sheep are instinctively afraid of running water. And so, what does the shepherd have to do? Well, someone like David would have come along to a stream, and he would have he would have put some stones along the edge there and and slow down the water so it was no longer scary. It would no longer bring fear to the sheep. He would dam it up so they were able to drink. And so we're blessed that our good shepherd is the one who says he is the living water. Remember Jesus says also in John, I am the living water and all who drink of me will never thirst again. That's a glorious truth. So my friends, the only way you're going to not lack peace is to trust in the one who is your living water. Number five, we see he's, uh, what does this mean for us? I shall not lack life. See, if Yahweh is your good shepherd, you're not going to lack life because he says in verse three, he restores My soul. Now this good shepherd is the one who is restoring your soul. This statement, by the way, is subject to different interpretations. As a lot of things are. Uh, It may picture the straying sheep being brought back to the sheepfold. In other words, it could be talking about the sheep needing repentance or conversion. But in some Bible translation, the word soul there in verse 3, is translated life. And that just means that the Lord restores physical health. Possibly both ideas could be correct, especially when you compare it with other portions of Scripture, because we know that even Jesus Himself called, He called Himself in John 14, the life. We also know that Jesus is the great physician, So he's both of those at the same time, so I can see why both ideas could be correct. But the point is, what does he do? He restores my soul. He's the one who is able to convert. He's the one who's able to give you real life. But because Yahweh is my shepherd, number six, six, I shall not lack guidance. I shall not lack guidance. Look at the end of verse three. It says that He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, unlike other animals, sheep lack a sense of direction. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? They can easily get lost. Uh, And they can even get lost in familiar environments. They can easily go astray as they're just prone to wandering. Sometimes they, they just... They're not really thinking about where they're going. They just eat a blade of grass here, and then, and before they know it, they end up way over there, and sometimes they just follow another sheep, and they just mindlessly follow sheep sometimes, which is not very smart, but that's what they do. And have you ever noticed they just they jump just because the sheep in front of them was jumping, even though nothing's there, right? You ever notice that? That's what sheep do. They're easily prone to wandering. So the shepherd has to continually guide them on the right path if they are to move from paddock to paddock or field to field without getting into danger. And that's one reason I like the great hymn, Come Thou Fount. In verse 3 of that hymn it says, it says this about us sheep. It says Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And so the one here who is the light of the world, friends, doesn't leave us without guidance. He gives you guidance. See, my friends, Christ, when He left this earth, said He was going to do a wonderful thing for you. And if you're a believer, He said, I am going to send the Comforter. The Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my word. He wrote the Bible. He's completed all 66 books of the Bible. And so, my friend, by his word and his spirit, God is, God is guiding his flock. And he's doing it effectively in the right way. But notice why God does this for us. Look at verse 3 again. He does it for his name's sake, not yours but for His name's sake. And that just means He's doing it for His own honor and glory, which is the highest of all motives. And so because Yahweh is my shepherd, there's a seventh glorious truth here. We see in verse 4, I shall not lack safety. I shall not lack safety. Because verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, David understood this as a shepherd. That, and and so, so David's portraying the shepherd here as being someone who is able to protect his own sheep in those moments of great danger. Uh, now, for a shepherd, one of the great moments of danger would happen when uh, they had to be moved to, to go to some place to find some water or particularly some more food. And sometimes in the process, they would have to go through a valley or a, or a wadi or a place where there would be some high, jagged cliffs or a very narrow valley. And often those places were filled with potential danger. Sheep might fall off a cliff or they might experience an ambush from a wild animal. And in those valleys, the sun would be obstructed from shining and it would create shadows in great darkness in some places. And, and so that's why David's using that, that imagery of there. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And so even though there are shadows in those kind of places, sometimes it, it, the air, I, I, I understand, the air in the bottom of those kind of places is very heavy. It's oppressively hot. No air movement. And so did you notice why verse 4 says we are safe? Two reasons. Two reasons why verse 4 says you're safe. Number one, God's presence. Who's there with you? You're never alone. Right? You're, you're, You're never alone. Because notice it says, Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? There's your first reason. Yahweh is with you <laughs> Yahweh is with you, and the other reason is your staff so so you are with me and your rod and your staff they comfort me so two reasons: God's presence and god's power, both of them are there, and so even in danger, the Lord is present to guard and guide his flock and so you can be so thankful that jesus Said, I am the life. He's not just the truth. He's not just the way. He's also your life. And so, keeping with this shepherd imagery here, David says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Put those two together because the shepherd's rod was usually a wooden club, uh, it would have been maybe just shy of a meter. Long and that club was used to defend the flock against wild animals. There could have been lions, bears, wolves, just to name a few. It was also used for counting and guiding and protecting the sheep. And often a shepherd would also carry around his crook. You've probably seen the shepherd's crook, you know, with that big hook on the end. That was a that was a, a tool used for prying sheep out of thickets or Uh, used for pushing branches aside or used for pulling fallen sheep out of holes or uh, leading sheep along paths Uh, maybe even for driving away snakes or something like that but uh, it was a tool for the shepherd to comfort and help fearful sheep well this particular Psalm 23 goes on with the metaphor in verses 5 and 6 with a little different metaphor and shows us what does the uh, shepherd turns kind of into a host right so let's look at the host imagery here and we see that Yahweh is my gracious host not only is he good my good shepherd he is a gracious host we see first of all here in verse 5 that I am God's lowly guest I am God's lowly guest, because notice what it says in verse 5 you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and so as a gracious host would attend to the needs of a guest David says here that God you're preparing something for me here right in the midst of my enemies and and even though I'm surrounded by many enemies who want to harm me David recognized that God was with him for his good God's the one who's supplying his needs as a good host would care for his guest. Number two, he says, I shall not lack provision. I shall not lack provision. See, not only is he preparing the table, but in in verse 5 he says, You're anointing my head with oil. (laughs) Now that was a custom of a loving host. See, hospitality, you you have to understand about uh, the Middle East and their culture, In that honor culture, hosting someone was the greatest delight. Uh, Being a guest was a great privilege, and you would get spoiled. And one of the things they would do is they would anoint your head with oil. That was a great honor. It was refreshing. your, Your hot, weary travels, you would come to someone's tent, most likely, and one of the things would happen to you is you would receive oil. And so when David says, God, you're anointing my head with oil, he's speaking of the Lord's ministry to revive his heart, especially when he's surrounded by all these foes that are threatening him. And so the presence of God was something that renewed him, like receiving some oil on his hot head would renew him. It's giving some great stuff for the demands of life. And so he didn't lack provision because Yahweh was doing this for him. And then third, we see here, I shall not lack grace. Look at the the very last part of verse 5 because it says, My cup overflows. You don't just have a cup that's empty. or, Or a quarter full, or a half full, or even three quarters full. No, no, this cup is Overflowing. Uh, imagine your host coming up to you and and you 're saying, "Hey uh, you know i'm really thirsty. can you give me something to drink And the host comes up to you and he doesn't just give you you know a little sip, oh no, he just keeps pouring until your cup just starts spilling out on the table and you're thank you yeah that's that's great thanks i've had enough and he just keeps pouring and then it 's just going all over the table and it, yeah that's great, thank you uh, that's enough you're not going to lack grace." And notice David's testifying, it's my cup is overflowing. <laughs> it's referring to this constant supply of drink that's being provided here by the very attentive host. <laughs> and so his cup was always more than filled to the brim. It's overflowing with the most satisfying drink imaginable. It reminds me what Jesus said. See, it's a, it's a wonderful picture, even of Jesus himself, who said, I am the living water and he who drinks of me will never thirst again. It's God's abundant grace. And so even in the midst of the most dangerous circumstances imaginable, God is an infinite source of all that you need to live a victorious Christian life. You can't say your glass is half full or half empty. It's abundantly full. It's overflowing. Because God is your gracious host. You can say in verse 6, I shall not lack goodness. I shall not lack goodness because it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. What a triumphant way, by the way, to to come toward the end here. I mean, even when David found himself in life-threatening situations, as he often did, he understood that God's blessings were, were chasing him. They're chasing him because he says, they're following me. I I can't get rid of them, and that's a good thing, right? I can't get rid of God because his goodness and his mercy are chasing me. They're following me. How how much are they following me? All the days of my life. Not one day is left open to any other conclusion. Therefore, I I shall not lack goodness And then he ends on this glorious truth. What a triumphant way to end the psalm. Because he says, I shall not lack eternal blessing. Eternal blessing is is coming my way. I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh. For how long? You need to repeat that glorious truth to yourself every day. I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. My friends, that's your ultimate reality. And David declares that even death would serve his greater good. It's going to usher him into God's immediate presence where he understood he's going to enjoy Yahweh forever. And so David understood there's nothing that can separate a Christian from the love of God. He knew Romans 8. He knew Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even yourself. Not even death itself. Not Satan. Nothing. Not even death. So, what does this all mean for you and me then? Well, if you get nothing else from this message and you can't remember that whole long list, at least remember this, friends, that Christ is sufficient. Can you remember three words? Christ is what? Sufficient. That's the point. He's truly more than enough, and so this truth brings great comfort and great encouragement for God's people, and has for centuries. And that's why so many Christians consider this the, the, the their favorite psalm. When Christ is your life, you know what that means for you. It means that you have everything you need because Christ is everything. It means Christ is able to meet every need you have because. He says He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Creator and the Sustainer. He's all of that and more. And so He is the infinite God who can meet whatever needs we may have. And that's the central theme of this psalm. Don't lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that. And so since our Good Shepherd and our gracious host is always near to care for us, you will never say, I shall not want. If, if, if you really believe that Yahweh is your shepherd, and you really believe that Yahweh is your gracious host, you can believe those words. And you'll experience those words. I shall not want. What great truth. And so may your soul be at peace. May you really understand shalom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we understand shalom as you have declared yourself to be. May we really believe that Christ is sufficient. May we really believe that Jesus is our good shepherd. And may those comforting, glorious truths affect our entire life, every aspect of our life, be filled with those glorious truths. May this be our reality. May we live in this reality. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for being our gracious host. And even though we are surrounded by horrible enemies, our flesh, this world, and Satan and all the demons who are out to get us, we understand we are protected. We don't need to fear. We can be at rest. And so thank you for doing for us, which we could never do for ourselves. And so may we meditate upon these glorious truths and live them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.